Xtalks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This food industry-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to help keep you up to date. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Xtalks Food Podcast. I'm Sydney Perlmutter, Senior Food Industry Journalist and Webinar Moderator at xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Aisha Rashid and Vera Kovacevic. Thanks for coming today. So I'm going to start us off with a story about a new executive order from the White House. So earlier uh, last week, U.S. President Joe Biden issued an executive order that's called Advancing Biotechnology and Biomanufacturing Innovation for a Sustainable, Safe, and Secure American Bioeconomy. So this order prioritizes research and innovation in various fields, but of course, I'm just going to be focusing on food um, and states uh, that federal investments will be made into the space. So this initiative is framed uh, to help the U.S. be dominant in the space, but also be more competitive on a global scale, enhance national security and grow the economy. So the order mentioned that it will improve and expand biomanufacturing, production capacity and process, train biotech workforce, expand market opportunities for these products and streamline regulation. So um, I'm just going to get into how this executive order um, will impact the future of food and beverage biotech and biomanufacturing. So here's what you need to know. Biotech is something that we generally associate with energy, medicine, and pharmaceuticals, um, but it actually plays a significant role in the food and beverage industry. So food products that are developed using genetically modified organisms or GMOs are possible through bioengineering and precision fermentation, uh, which is powered by biotech. So startups that have their eyes on the future may be able to benefit from this new government attention to this area. So the federal law that mandates some uh, genetically modified food and beverage items to be labeled calls them bioengineered. And the FDA approved the first genetically engineered crop nearly 30 years ago with the rainbow papaya, which was created with an immunity to a virus that threatened to decimate that crop. And then we also had the flavor saver tomato. Uh, So biotech is also taking on new forms in food. So I've talked about companies before that are using precision fermentation to create things like dairy and egg protein without animals. And there's a company called Perfect Day that uses precision fermentation to make animal-free whey protein, which has been used in ice cream, cream cheese, chocolate, and milk. Uh, And I'll just point out um, there is a difference between plant-based and, um, you know, using precision fermentation while plant-based doesn't contain any um, animal protein. Uh, This does, however, there are just no animals involved. So there's, you know, because it's such an interesting combination of, you know, food and science, this area has always sort of been uh, prone to controversy. And we've seen advocacy groups that are concerned um, and consumers as well uh, that have called attention to genetically modified food for years, even though many scientists agree that these products are safe to consume. So there's something called the non-GMO project, which created a seal for products that meet stringent requirements, avoiding anything genetically modified in their supply chain. 
And earlier this summer, the non-GMO project was outspoken about synthetic dairy products, um, ones like Perfect Day, insisting that they are unsafe to consume and that they're harming the dairy industry. However, like any other FDA-approved food or beverage product, bioengineered foods are held to the same safety standards as anything else that consumers would find in the grocery store. So despite this controversy, though, several studies posit that using bioengineering and biomanufacturing for food is necessary to create a sustainable food supply chain for the future. This technology offers a production method that reduces the reliance on animal agriculture, as well as resources such as land and water. And in turn, it can also reduce greenhouse gas emissions and protect consumers from health scares related to zoonotic diseases. So this executive order applies to many useful facets of biotech, and it means that for now, the federal government is also endorsing the use of biotech to help feed the world. So, yeah, this is a pretty big, um, you know, executive order um, for, for food. And I just wanted to get your thoughts, you know, from your scientific background um, on, on GMOs, um, whether you think that, you know, it's going to take biotech uh, to continue feeding the earth in a sustainable way. Um, do you have anything against GMOs or bioengineering in terms of food? What are your thoughts? Well, the only, th um, the only thing I have that I'm not in full agreement with is for the non-GMO organization to make a claim that GMO foods are unsafe, like, what is their evidence behind that claim? They need to have solid evidence, right? <laughs> like, oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm pretty sure the FDA has evidence that their view that GMO foods are safe, like they've get, gathered data. But like, to make a counterclaim, you also need to have evidence. So I'm kind of, I don't like it when I guess organizations or groups out of good faith, I'm sure, but they make a claim saying something is not safe and then they're scaring a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But if they don't have evidence for that, it's what they're doing is not actually helpful at the end of the day. Yeah, I'm just on their website right now. And um, so they say uh, in response to our GMO safe, they say in the absence of credible independent long-term feeding studies, the safety of GMOs is unknown. Increasingly citizens are taking matters into their own hands and choosing to opt out of the GMO experiment. So that's sort of an answer without giving an answer in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're sort of saying, we don't know. So why risk eating foods that do have GMO and calling it the GMO experiment is also very yeah. like, it's very like, brainwashy in a certain mm -hmm. way. Um, and I think, I think their, uh, movement is more out of, you know, fear than it is out of anything credible. Um, and I, I completely understand wanting to eat like, you know, only foods that are completely natural and haven't been, you know, what, whatever. And that's totally fine. But I think this is a movement that's doing more harm than good because foods that are genetically modified feed so many people. Um, and if you're getting people to, you know, discourage that sort of uh, practice, it's, it might not be, might not be the best. So yeah, that's, that's a great point, Vera. There, there is, to, to my knowledge, I don't think they're really substantiating those claims. Yeah. How long have GMO foods been out since I was a kid, I think, or even. Yeah. So the first, the first one was um, about 30 years ago. It was this papaya. Um, 
And then I think GMOs became popular for that flavor saver tomato, which just essentially made tomatoes last longer. Um, and we still eat, you know, G GMO foods to this day. Um, and we're all okay. So <laughs> just there's just, the long-term evidence, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No, but they have been around for a really long time. It's true. It's not, it's not something new um, that, that um, we're, we're fearing right now. It's, it's yeah. Well, yeah. Adding to this, um, first of all, GMOs have been around in some form or another for thousands of years, ever since humans, um, got into modern agriculture, right? So we've been breeding different crops. We've been selecting. So selection, modification, all of that also counts as GMO. Now, the difference with uh, 21st or 20th century, um, late 1990s or <laughs> 1900s um, GMOs is that we're using more sophisticated techniques in a lab. But essentially, if you take a look at the concept, the concept is that you're selecting or favoring certain traits um, and you can do that either by crossbreeding certain uh, varieties of plants or animals, or you can do so through uh, techniques uh, developed in a lab, so biotech. So, you know, the, the whole term GMO, it's kind of like, it's like Frankensteinian almost how people have made it to be, but I think it's really important to understand what um, entails a genetically modified organism. And to some extent, almost everything is gene genetic, has been genetically modified over, you know, hundreds and thousands of years. Now, the techniques by which they're being done now, sure. And I think this is where the distinction between hesitancy and fear um, comes in as well. Because, yeah, Sydney, like you were saying, like this, these advocacy groups, they're more fear-mongering rather than, let's say, people who have legitimate concerns are, and are hesitant because they want more information or they're legitimately, you know, um, they have legitimate questions and they're not just fear mongering. And I think we saw the same thing with like the COVID-19 vaccines, mm -hmm. which by gosh, my gosh, I have not talked about any <laughs> COVID related stuff in a long time. But uh, anyway, so I think um, that's what it, you know, comes down to in terms of um, these kinds of groups are really doing a disservice because they are just instilling fear based on no evidence, no data. Like if they're claiming something, well, the burden of proof is on them to find that counterclaim, which they're saying, oh, well, GMOs are not safe. Okay. Well, we're, that's a claim. Well, you got to prove it that they're not safe. Right. Um, and yeah, like you guys have said, GMOs have been around for a long time now. I'm not sure how long of a time they need to be around for people to, to, you know, be more accepting of them and for all this fear mongering to stop. But yes, we can definitely question things. We can question, you know, what are the methods being used and try to understand them. And um, I think that that's, the, that's really it. So I think these people are doing a disservice to, to the food industry and to, yeah, like potentially finding new ways to uh, fulfill the food demands of the world, because this is going to be a part of it going forward. Um, we see climate change and so many different things happening that um, it's a bit scary to think how our food chains could be affected. And so to have 
alternates and to have new technology, essentially, that's what technology is all about. Like we're trying to, you know, um, help sustain and improve the lives of, of humans and animals and the environment alike. So we shouldn't be fear mongering on anything that's new or not well understood. That's such a great point. And and while you were you're you were talking, I was thinking about how I feel like there's so much more proof that um ultra processed foods are oh, yeah. bad for us. Uh, and yet than- people have no problem picking up like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to name names of certain brands or anything, but like certain cookies and packages mm-hmm. and stuff, you know. No mm-hmm. problem. Yeah, no, I, I think there's there's far more proof of that. Um, and I think perhaps there's some crossover between the people who are anti-GMO and ultra processed, maybe. But yeah, I think I think we need to pick our battles a little more um, you know, properly um when when we're dealing with uh, you know outspoken uh, groups of people. Um, And yes, I I completely agree. I understand, you know, being skeptical of, uh, you know, dairy that claims that it's fully dairy, but there was no cow involved or same, same Mm -hmm. goes for meat. Um, And even though we haven't seen, you know, we haven't even seen full approval of a lot of um, this technology. That's right. You know, we we haven't seen it Researchers are saying this is in its infancy and Mm -hmm. we all realize that like no one's serving up like, you know, lab grown steak at your local restaurant yet. Um, so it's being worked out. And Mm -hmm. I think that's like science is, is a process and it's highly regulated, right? You have the FDA, you have all of these agencies and they have to undergo strict regulations and well, then people don't trust them. And it's all, uh, you know, they're all, it's a world scheme or (laughs) or scam or who knows conspiracy theories than what they think. That honestly is a perfect segue into my next story, which is actually (laughs) about um, 3D printed um, meat, uh, specifically steak, uh, (laughs) that I'll be talking about. So let me get into that. So there's a cultivated meat company called Stakeholder Foods, uh, spelled S-T-E-A-K, previously was known as Meat Tech 3D, and it's going to be showcasing its 3D bioprinting capabilities at the upcoming Future Food Tech Summit in London by letting visitors print their own steaks. So this is an Israeli food tech company, and they're hoping that its 3D printed steaks will allow it to stand out among the 600 innovators, global food brands, ingredients providers, and investors that are at the event. So how do they do this? To create the true taste, texture, and mouthfeel of traditional steak, the company uses a special process that combines cell cultivation with 3D bioprinting. So their powerful 3D bioprinting can produce structured meat with any muscle to fat ratio at an industrial scale with finely tuned precision. And it doesn't just focus on steak either. So stakeholders' other offerings include cultured pork, chicken, fish, and seafood. And along with structured products, all the com- uh, the company intends to offer ground pork and pork biomass for use in hybrid products such as meatballs. And in its latest line, which is uh, a line of omakase beef morsels, those are inspired by the marbling standard of Wagyu beef and are comprised of multiple layers of muscle and fat. So the company also recently began developing cultured pork products using a line of induced pluripotent porcine or porcine uh, stem cells. So I'm just going to call this IPS. 
So IPS are taken from skin or blood cells, which are reprogrammed back into an embryonic like pluripotent uh, state or an immature cell state. So the new line was taken from sampled cells that went through this process, and this enables one cell bank to become an unlimited and highly scalable source for developing any type of muscle or fat for cultured meat production. To shorten this development time for structured pork products like bacon and ham, Stakeholder Foods has partnered with a leading IPS cell line. So using a combination of cell cultivation and bioprinting, like I said, Stakeholder Foods is confident that its lab-grown products will match the taste and texture of conventional meats. But where does it stand in terms of other companies in this space? So according to the Good Food Institute, there were 107 cultivated meat products worldwide in 2021. So this is definitely a growing um, area. But Stakeholder Foods, which is the only cultivated meat company that is publicly traded on the NASDAQ market, has raised a total of nearly $18 million since it was founded in 2020, sorry, in 2017. And the company operates in Rechavot, Israel and Antwerp, Belgium, and also expanded uh, activities into the U.S. recently. The company first began working with beef cells and first went public in Israel in 2019. And then it created a daughter company dedicated to creating cell-based chicken and acquired cultivated fat producer Piece of Meat, spelled Piece, P-E-A-S, sorry, P-E-A-C-E, cute name. Uh, stakeholders piece of meat subsidiary, which is currently uh, building a cultivated fat pilot plant in Belgium, established a stable and unique line of avian cells earlier this year. But like we were uh, talking about in the last story, it's not clear how long the path to potential commercialization is for stakeholders' various cultivated meats. And of course, cultivated meat is almost entirely at the prototyping phase right now. And only one country in the world has granted approval for meat product uh, for a meat product made from cells, and that is Singapore. However, several countries are working with government officials around the world to gain regulatory approval for their cultured meat products. But for now, investors and participants can experience some of stakeholders' pre-market offerings at the upcoming Future Food Tech Summit, which is uh, September 22nd to 23rd. So, yeah, what what are your thoughts on um, you know where the future of meat might be headed? Um, to me personally, I would be really stoked to see um, you know a steak being printed in front of my mm-hmm. eyes, and I'm quite a steak lover, so I really would want to see if it would match up to uh, what I know as steak. Um, yeah, are are we embracing this? Uh, you know, are we ever? Do you think we're ever entirely going to need to rely on you know three D bioprinting for for our sources of meat? I can, I, can I ask a question here? I was just I still can't really wrap my head around what exactly is like 3d bioprinting like i can't picture it i can't imagine it i have no idea what exactly is that that's a great question so um i think the the concept of of 3d printing has sort of blown up in the last 10 years just seeing things um you know aside from paper being printed um or printed on um but 3d bioprinting um according to the oxford dictionary is the use of 3d printing technology with materials that incorporate viable living cells so for example to produce tissue for reconstructive surgery um so rather than just an 
object being printed, it involves living cells. So I think that's where the bio and bioprinting comes from. I totally agree with you. It's 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 very hard to picture, and the process, um, you know, I, I can't really wrap my head around it either. But I think that's what distinguishes it from just normal three D printing. Yeah, I agree. Like the whole like printing aspect of anything really I think it's kind of like it, it, it's a cause for confusion because it, it just you know conjures up images of an actual print printer printing stuff out right but it's not I think it's just a, a more fancier or like a modern day age way of saying mass production or mass producing something in, or you know and in the case of bioprinting so you're taking like the the raw ingredients that would be used to create like a living organism like tissues like cells and 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 whatnot and there's bringing them together feeding them through some kind of you know um machine and then you got your end product so you're essentially manufacturing something um but yeah i think this whole 3d printing thing is <laughs> just a fancy way of just saying that you're you're making something in a machine <laughs> That's a much more accessible definition. <laughs> Thank you very much. That that makes yes. more sense to me. Yeah. 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 And then so for this company, right? Stakeholder. Mm -hmm. right? So they're 3D bioprinting, um, different types of meat, including beef. And then they wrote, they say that they're inspired by a specific type of beef called wagyu beef yeah. mm -hmm. most expensive in the world right mm -hmm. oh yeah. i've never heard of it wagyu. oh yes ah. wagyu beef is is yes the most coveted um mm -hmm. you know cut um of, of of beef and it comes from very specific cattle uh in japan yeah, in japan um yeah and if you were wondering um because uh, I mentioned omakase. So omakase just is a, it's a definition, sorry, omakase is a, a Japanese term for a meal that consists of dishes that are carefully selected by a chef. We see it typically oh, okay. um, in sushi. So you'll say like, oh, I had a five or I had a 10 course uh, omakase meal. And it's just when a chef specifically mm -hmm. um, selects certain dishes uh, for, for a meal. Um, so I think this line specifically is the higher end um, yeah, inspired by Wagyu. Um, and yes, typical Wagyu beef is extremely expensive. The marbling is exquisite. Um, these, these cattle are raised and, and exercised in a certain way to sort of perfect that marbling. And if you've ever seen a raw cut of Wagyu beef, it's honestly beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. Piece of never, art. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and another thing is like a lot of um, companies claim that they sell like, oh, we have a Wagyu burger. Uh, but I think uh -huh. that term is, is tossed around too often. Um, but real Wagyu is very expensive. And I think uh, it, it even presents like a, a much, much different taste than, than people who love steak are, are used to. And I'm excited to try it one day if I ever travel to Japan, but yes, that is, that is Wagyu beef. Oh, okay. I see. And I guess um, the photo that you have on your article, is that from the actual company? So yes, yes, that's from the company that is there. Um, that's what those um, omakase uh, beef morsels look like. Um, so you kind of, you can kind of see like the layers there. Yeah. And, and what I think they're, tr they're trying to replicate like that marbling. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's another sort of hurdle that companies like stakeholder are going to have to uh, get around, which is that they might not look like the steaks or the beef or the meat that we're, we're used to. Um, they might look a little bit different um, because they're trying to incorporate all the authentic 
elements of, of what we come to know about meat, but it just might look a little bit different because it's not coming from nature. Okay, yeah, this makes more sense. It looks like a thin layer of muscle followed mm -hmm. by a thin layer of fat. Yeah. yeah, there's like 20 or so such layers mm -hmm. in a piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they can get any sort of muscle to fat ratio, um, you know, with this bioprinting technology. So I think they they up that ratio um, with these uh, with these omakase beef morsels specifically. Um, so yeah, I mean, It'll be interesting to see whether, you know, stakeholder and other, you know, cultivated meat companies uh, try to hone in more on, on getting the look right, as opposed to the taste and the texture. I feel like that is an aspect that sort of comes late, you know, in the late stages of, 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 of the prototype. And really you want to get that taste and that texture there first, and then we can focus on, on the look. Um, Cause I don't, I don't really think we're going to be seeing cultivated steaks that have you know, bones in them or T-bones or, or any sort of meat with bones in it, um, uh, at least at this point, because that's kind of just wasting, uh, you know, space and where, what are they going to construct the bone out of? It's not something we eat anyway. Yeah. Looking at the picture, it's obviously not replicating the real thing, mm -hmm. but it's an interesting take I, mm -hmm. I have to say on it. So I'd be willing to try it. Um, because yeah, it's replicating sort of the idea of it and hopefully the the taste of it. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty cool. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, if they can get like Wagyu beef and st stuff like that, well, it's inspired by, mm -hmm. by that kind of marbling standard, but pretty cool. I think it's, um, I don't know if it's the complete future of meat, but it'll be probably a part of it. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I think we're always going to be needing real meat to, to inspire these things and, yeah. and to gather the the cells that are necessary to produce, um, you know, these, this offspring, uh, you know, you could call it. Um, but yeah, I completely agree with you. I think there's always going to be, uh, we're always going to be in need of, of real animal agriculture that's mm -hmm. probably not going anywhere anytime yeah. soon but it is definitely very cool to see uh different yeah. companies takes on on certain sub genres of of meat um mm -hmm. you know it's it's more than just chicken and 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 fish and steak these days We're, they're really honing in on specific types of meat which i think is very cool to see mm -hmm. All right, well, that's the end of this episode of the X Talks Food Podcast. If you like today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the X Talks Food Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalk.com. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.